Father, once again, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I suspect that all of us have expectations in our minds of God. Things that we believe God should do. Things that we believe God will do. Some of them are about our lives. Some of them are about other people's lives. Some of them are about the greater world. But all of us live with a certain level of expectations about God. Some of those expectations are line up with, with the, what we see in Scripture, and quite frankly, sometimes they don't. But we all have the expectations. And I'm convinced that there is something about our expectations of God that is at the heart of this parable that Jesus tells us that we just read. In Matthew 19, we didn't read this, but prior to the parable, we find uh, two encounters that I think sort of set up the parable. One of them is what we call the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, what good deed do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, obey the commandments. And he says, I've done all that. And he said, all right, then you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And it says he went away sadly because he was rich and he didn't want to give up what he had. Right after this, the disciples say, Jesus says to the disciples, this is why I've been telling you it's hard for rich people to get into the heaven. It's hard for people who, whose lives are, are so entwined with possessions. It's hard for them to enter the kingdom. And he has that camel through the eye of the needle thing again. And the disciples say, well, then who can go to heaven? And Jesus says, well, with God, all things are possible. And then Peter asks Jesus a question. He says, Lord, We've given up everything for you. We've done exactly what the, you told this guy to do. We've given it all up. What are we going to get? Hear it? What's the expectation? What are we going to get for giving up everything we've given to you? And Jesus says, everybody who gives up, who gives up things for me will be rewarded. And then he ends that by saying, and many who are first will be last and last will be first. And then he says to them, as he is wont to do, let me tell you a story. And as I've said to you before, when Jesus says, let me tell you a story, hold on. Because he's got something directly to say. And Jesus tells a story about an owner of a vineyard who goes out early in the morning and starts hiring people to work in the vineyard. Kenneth Bailey talks about the Middle Eastern practices, even to today, of places in towns where people go who are looking for work. They go early in the morning, and people who are looking to hire go there and choose some of them to work, do their work for them. And so this is what happens. They comes at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he hires the first group. Now, I would suspect that the owner of the vineyard looks over this group of men and thinks to himself, who are the most appealing to me? That's what you do, right? I mean, you pick the people that look the strongest. You pick the people that you think will work the hardest. You look to pick the people you might have a connection to in some way. And you choose the ones that are most appealing to you. You know what? Somebody said to me this week that it triggered this thought for them, and I've been thinking about it, and I think it's true. It triggers the thought of, of 
grade school gym class, right? Where you're choosing up sides for, for softball or basketball or whatever, and you're praying, don't let me be the last one chosen. But what ends up happening, right? The people who are most appealing get chosen first. The people who are least appealing get chosen last. And there seems to be a pattern to it. If you're like your school was like mine, the same people get chosen first. The same people get chosen last. And there's a humiliation in that. If you've ever been the one chosen last for anything, you know this feeling of humiliation. And I suspect they feel that too. And if I were them, I would say, I'm not going to do this. But they hang around. So at 9 o'clock, the guy, he goes back and says, I need some more people. So he looks, okay, I'll take them. At noon, he goes back, I'll take some more. At 3 o'clock, he goes back, I'll take some more. You get to five, by the time you get to 5 o'clock, I'm, I'd be thinking, I might as well go home. If they didn't pick me at 3, they're not going to pick me at all. But they stay. And the reason they stay and they face that humiliation over and over and over again is because they have a family at home that needs to be supported. And you do what you have to do to support those that you need to, be, to, need to support. And so eventually they all go. It's not a matter of them not wanting to work. It's just a matter of them not being yet chosen and waiting it out. Now, when we read this parable, we sort of, okay, I understand that. The part of this parable that troubles us is when it comes time to pay them. I mean, that's the part that bothers us. Because he says, all right, you know, he gives, he's promised the first guys a denarius, which is a generous day's wage. And when he gets down to the other guys that he hasn't promised them anything, he says, we'll give you the same thing. And our first inclination when we read that parable is what? That's not fair. Right? It's not fair. Guy worked 12 hours, he worked one hour. They get paid the same thing? That's not right. That's not the way things operate. That's not the way you do things. Unless you're talking about the kingdom of God, I guess. And, they're, they're, and, the, and the people who work first are, are frustrated by that. And, and here's the thing about it. It's not just the fact of, that they get paid the same. It's how the owner goes about paying them. Now, if it were me and I was thinking, I think I want to pay these guys all the same, I would have paid the guys who worked the longest first. And I would have said, here's your denarius. Did a great job. You guys can go on home. And as they get out of earshot, I turn to the other guys and say, now look, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to give you the same thing I gave them. Just don't let the word get out, okay? Because it, they're going to be upset about it. I don't want to upset them. But he doesn't. He does the exact opposite. He pays the guys who worked one hour first. And you can't help but believe that the reason he does that, the reason Jesus tells the story that way is because he's pointing the story at the people hired first. The people who've been, who worked the longest, the people who've been there for all day. And let's be honest, that's probably more than likely you and me. People who've known the kingdom a long time. People who've been around the kingdom a long time. People who've been working a long time. 
That's probably most of us. And Jesus is trying to make a point, probably to the disciples, about Peter's question. And what ends up happening is this comparison that ends up taking place because of the way the payment is made reveals the heart of the people who've worked all day, and it's not pretty. What we see coming out is envy, jealousy, frustration. And this, I, this feeling of envy and jealousy is rooted in a, a perception of unfairness. And the perception of unfairness is rooted in a sense of status about this is the way things work. This is the way we do things. There's something in us that agrees with what they're saying, which they are in essence saying to the master, hey, you're making them equal to us. And that's not right. There's something in us that values what we get more if other people don't get it. I mean, it, don't, don't, you, don't you see that sometimes? That if, if everybody gets it, it doesn't have that much value. But if only a few of us have it, then, then that must be important. And I must be important. It's a country club mentality. I mean, what makes country clubs so special is that there are lots of people they don't let in. You have to be a certain status. You have to have a certain amount of wealth or influence or connections or whatever it may be to get in. And, and you get in because you're privileged. And what makes it so special is that these people are not privileged and they don't get in. And there's something in our human mindset that says that kind of thinking is more valuable. But it's not. It, it just creates, and when we start saying, well, no, everybody's equal, everybody's the same, then we start getting upset. And this sense of envy and jealousy, as he says, are you envious that I've been generous to them? The answer to that question is yes, they are. And envy, envy is a killer of us. There's a reason why it's listed among the seven deadly sins, because it's deadly to us. It eats away at us. It corrodes our spirit. It corrodes our relationship, both with other people and with God. It is so self-absorbed and self-seeking and turned inward because it's all about us. And it eats away at us. And, and, and envy creates a situation in which it causes us to ignore reality, particularly the reality of, of the God's blessings to us. Someone was telling me recently about a, about a study they read about the Olympics. You know, I think they start this week. And, and the study proved, asked a question, which of the three people on the medal podium are the least happy? You'd think it'd be the people who get the bronze because they're thinking to themselves, I was this close to getting nothing and I got a medal. But it's not. It's the silver medalists 
that are most unhappy standing on the podium because they were so close to getting gold. And all they can feel is disappointment about not getting gold. They're not thinking, hey, I got second place. I beat out the guy that got bronze and everybody else after him or her. All they can think about is what they didn't get. It's human nature. It's part of our struggle of, of ingratitude. And we all wrestle with ingratitude. Resentment, envy, jealousy. Henry Nouwen says that resentment uh, is the opposite of gratitude. And in fact, he says the two of them cannot coexist together because resentment blocks our perception and our experience that life is a gift. We miss all the gifts because all we're thinking about is what we didn't get instead of everything we did get. And this, this idea of, of, of envy and, and ingratitude can so eat away at us. And it messes with our relationships with others and with God. It's like ingratitude and and envy are two sides of the same coin. Maybe that's why Karl Barth said that, said that all, all sin basically is rooted in ingratitude. And Voskamp writes that, that Satan is an ingrate, and his goal is to create ingrates out of us. And so you go back to the Garden of Eden, and in a sense, that's what he does. Adam and Eve can, can get everything in the garden except for one tree. And all they can think about, because Satan keeps putting it in their minds, what he's saying to them is, why not one tree? Why not one tree? Can't believe he wouldn't give you one tree. What's wrong with God? You're getting nothing. Because all they can think about is that one tree they don't have. They're forgetting everything else they do have. And she says that if ingratitude is connected to the fall, then that means thanksgiving is somehow connected to salvation. Which is why God keeps reminding his people over and over and over again of all of his blessings. You read through the scriptures and God keeps saying to them, I'm the God who did this for you and I'm the God who did this for you and I'm the God who did that, that for you. Over and over and over again, he keeps reminding them all of the wondrous blessings of God. Why does he keep doing that? Because it's so easy to focus on what we don't have and completely ignore what we do have. Which is why gratitude and thanksgiving is one of the most profound antidotes to envy and jealousy. It's an antidote to the problem, that problem we have in our human nature of focusing on what's not there instead of all that is there. We keep coming back to, to this mindset of gratitude and thanksgiving for God's blessings do we see it the guys in the story can't see it all they can see is they didn't get as much as they they got the same as they did and that's not fair 
They can't see how blessed they were to get what they got. There is something about, about gratitude that uh, there's, a, there's a joy in us that, that comes not just from the blessings that we get, but a joy, a deeper joy in us that can give thanks for the blessings that other people get. There is a deeper joy to that kind of thinking because that's the mindset of God who loves to give and loves to see his people celebrate and to be joyful. He loves to bless them. And that's the mindset of the kingdom. You see, generous gratitude, not just for what God's doing with us, but what God's doing for others, is not just one of many options that we can choose as a follower of Jesus. It is one of the ways in which the, it's revealed to others that we are followers of Jesus. If we can't bring ourselves to be joyful and grateful for what God is doing, not just for us, but for others too, then that's, that's going to erode our, our walk with Christ. But that sense of gratitude for all of God's blessings keeps moving us deeper and deeper with Him and making us more like Him. I mean, ultimately, this, this parable is about God. All of them, I think, ultimately are about God. And the key verse here is 15, where God says, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind and generous to others? I mean, it really comes down to the nature of who God is. He's generous. God loves to give. This is not a story about some people being underpaid. This is a story about everybody being overpaid getting more than they deserve everyone because this is who God is God is loves to be generous God is full of grace and to follow Jesus is to embrace the grace of God for us and for all people but as Ken Bailey says while grace is amazing for some people grace is infuriating we're happy when we talk about God being, being, giving grace upon us. We're just not always sure we want God to be, give that kind of grace to other people who we think don't deserve it. And isn't that the question that the, the group first hired asks? In essence, really, you're making them equal to us. And Jesus says, you're right, I am. Because they are. They are equal to you. And you ought to embrace that and celebrate that. Ken Bailey says, he paraphrases sort of the last speech of the owner of the vineyard. And he says, You'll be able to go home to your wives and children and proudly announce that you found work and have a full day's pay. I want these other men to be able to walk in the doors of their houses with the same joy in their hearts and the same money in their pockets. 
I want their children and wives to be as proud of them as yours are of you. You must understand that I'm not only just, I'm also merciful and compassionate. Because mercy and compassion are a part of justice. This is who God is. We don't always want God to be like that. If there's an Old Testament equivalent to this story, I think it's Jonah. You know, God calls Jonah and says, go to Nineveh and tell them in three days, destruction's coming, judgment's coming upon, upon the city of Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? He gets on a ship and goes the opposite direction. Why does he do that? Because he doesn't want to go and warn the Ninevites. He doesn't want to warn them because they are the, I mean, they are a brutal people. They are the sworn enemies of Israel. And and God shouldn't warn them, just destroy them. And eventually, you know, through a series of crazy events, he gets, he gets there. And I have this in my mind, a vision of Jonah walking through the city, just sort of mumbling under his breath, judgment day is coming, judgment day is coming. God's going to destroy the city in three days. Because he doesn't want anyone to hear him. And what happens? Some hear him, and the city repents, and God forgives them. And what does Jonah say? I knew you were going to do that. Which is exactly why I didn't want to come here in the first place. Because these people don't deserve your grace. Parentheses like I do. I don't want you to be a God who gives grace to people who don't deserve it. As if any of us deserve it. But despite Jonah's anger doesn't change who God is he is generous and merciful and gracious to everyone God's grace is not a zero-sum game that if some get more others get less God is either stingy or he's generous and our well-being rests in the nature of who God is. If God is stingy, then we will live our lives trying to prove to God that we're worthy of his grace. And what a horrible way to live. But if God is generous, always generous, then we can simply receive his grace and live in it in joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. Because he's good. It seems to me that the, what the guys who work, who get hired first, are missing, or maybe a better way to say that is maybe their, their focus is on the wrong thing. You know, Peter asked the question, Lord, how are we going to get rewarded in your kingdom? What reward are we going to get? The focus is on the reward. And Jesus says to him, Peter, as great as the reward will be, the focus is not the reward. The focus is relationship. And one of the things I think at the core of what Jesus is trying to help us understand in this parable is Yes, everyone may get the reward at the end, and everyone who worked all day, who worked in the field, whatever they worked, got the same reward. 
But what the guys who worked all day are missing is that they got to spend the whole day working for the master. All they can see, though, is the heat of the day and the toil and how terrible it was. And the owner's saying, but you got the privilege of working for me all day. You got the privilege of being around me all day. You got the privilege of developing relationship with me all day. They only got one hour. You got 12. Discipleship is not so much about the reward, as awesome as that is going to be. Discipleship is about relationship. That we get the privilege of spending our lives in relationship with our Creator. That's our motivation. That's the joy of our journey with Christ. After the first service this morning, someone said to me, you know, the, the parables eventually break down because they said I was thinking that this, that pattern is not sustainable because tomorrow the only people are going to show up, that nobody's going to show up at 6 o'clock in the morning. They're all going to wait till 5 to come because they're going to get paid the same anyway. And then he said, then I realized that, no, wait. The people who will show up at 6 o'clock in the morning are the people who realize how generous the owner is and how privileged they are to work for an owner like that, and they want to work all day. And my guess is the guys who worked all day the first day probably won't show up till 5 o'clock because all they're thinking about is the paycheck. And when this person said this to me, it hit me. Maybe that's something of what Jesus means when after telling this parable, he says once again, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's, maybe it's not just a command. Maybe it's a description of their want to. Because they've seen a glimpse of who God is. So the question for us this morning is, have we seen an image of our generous God who is good to us beyond anything we could deserve? Can we see the great privilege we have to give our lives to him, to give everything to him, to work for him, to be in relationship with him all of our lives, and to help others enter into that relationship too. Father, we want to thank you for your wondrous grace. Father, help us to see in a new way, the phenomenal privilege of working for you and with you in relationship with you. We ask this through Jesus. Amen.